Pastor Javen will conclude the Champion Series where we'll see how important it is as champions in Christ to champion others and how valuable what we say and do can be in someone's life. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. We are concluding the series that we've been in the last couple of weeks called Champion. Um, and uh, we've said throughout this whole thing, our base passage of Scripture that uh, for this whole series is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Uh, if you're not familiar with that passage, I just encourage you to write that down uh, and go back and look at it uh, this week. Uh, read through that Scripture, study it. But I'll remind you what Paul says. He tells us that, that we are basically, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war within our life as followers of Christ. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. I, I, I emphasize that every week and I want to emphasize it again today. Our battle is not with other people. And we especially need to keep that in our minds, in our hearts, in these weeks going forward with the rulings that came out this past week. It, the enemy would love nothing more than for us to turn this into a battle between us and someone else. It is not a battle against flesh and blood. Paul tells us we are at war against principalities and powers of the air. And so our battle is, our, our job is to battle as spiritual champions and fight in that covered from head to toe with the armor that God has given us and to walk an expression of his love that he has called us to do and to stand firm in the conviction and the faith and on the word of God that he has given us to stand on. Amen. So that's what we are called to do. So we've been looking at how we fight that as spiritual champions, because we have been called to be champions in the life. We have been created to be that champion, and we have a mission to champion. God has given us someone in this life to champion. We're going to look more at that this morning. And God has given us a calling and a mission to champion. We said last week that God wants to call out courage with, within us for that calling. That, that we don't need to let fear or inadequacy or feel, feeling like we are unable have an inability to do what God has called us to do to keep us from championing what God has called us to champion in this life. See, God sees who he has created you to be. You are equipped. Go in the strength that he has given you. Walk in obedience, stand firm in his word and champion what God has called you to champion. This week, I want to look at a couple of passages of scripture on a relationship between a father and a son Again, the series, hopefully, ladies, you've been getting from these messages as well. But I have been pinpointing towards men in in this series. But I want to look at a couple of passages that show us relationship between a father and son. And I want us to see the power and how powerful our words and the influence that we can have on people that God has given us in this life to champion how powerful that can be. All right, we're going to go to 2 Samuel. We're just going to, we're going to look at one verse in 2 Samuel chapter 18. We'll look at a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 3. But I want us to start in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start kind of at the end point of what's happening in, this, in, a, in a story here. We're just going to see what's happening there, where we are. And then we're going to flash back and look what got us to that point, okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 18 is verse 33. We see this. 
It's talking about David. It says the king was overcome with emotion. And he went up to the room over the gateway and he burst into tears. As he went, he cried out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is a, uh, we see David in this place, this, this point in his life where he is just broken over something that has happened with one of his sons. What got him to this place? King David, a mighty champion, one of the greatest of kings. What got him to this place? Well, first off, I want to remind us last week, when we were looking at Gideon and we started that passage in Judges, we saw that the nation of Israel, the covering had been taken off of Israel from God because of the evil they had done. You remember that if you were here, if you listened to it, watched it? There was consequences. We said this last week, there's consequences for sin in our life. Our sin has consequences. Our sin can have painful consequences. Some of us know that today. We know really well how that can happen. And as we skim through this journey of David this morning and his sons, we're going to see the consequences of the sin of David's life playing out. But I also want us to know this as we get started this morning. Jesus has taken the ultimate sting of those consequences from us. He's taken those through what he did for us on the cross so that while they are painful, They do not have to be our story. They do not have to be the end of it. They don't have to be our downfall. Jesus took your pain so that the consequences of your sin can be redeemed. His goodness, his mercy, his grace is greater than any sin that we commit in this life. And God can reweave all of the things in our life even the consequences that come from our sin, and he can reweave them for his perfect plan and for our ultimate good. Jesus can do that in our life. Now, a quick synopsis of where we are with David and what's leading up to this point in David's life. Maybe you remember, if you just fall back a few chapters in 2 Samuel, you see where David had an affair and committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. David got her pregnant from this act. He wants to cover it up, so he calls for her husband to come off the battlefield, a place where David should have been, Scripture tells us, championing the mission that he was supposed to be championing at that time and the people that he was supposed to be championing towards that mission. He calls her husband off of that battlefield to try to make it appear that he's the one that actually gets his wife pregnant. Doesn't work. He has him killed. So David has committed adultery. He has committed murder. But then we see the prophet Nathan being led by God to go to David and tell David a story. David ultimately realizes right away, he's talking about me and he falls down to the ground and he repents deeply for what he's done. He experiences the forgiveness 
of God. Psalm 51, if I'm not mistaken, is, is a prayer that David prayed of wiping away the sin from what he had done in his life. But then we go forward and we begin to see David's sons grow up and his kids grow up. And we begin to see the consequences of his sin begin to play out. And if you ever thought you had a dysfunctional family, I encourage you to go read these passages of scripture from 2 Samuel, about chapter 11, 12 through 18. You'll realize there was a dysfunctional family here, right? Let's see what happens. David's son, Amnon. He had his, this was his firstborn son. Amnon had a perverse crush on his stepsister, Tamar. And he ends up raping her. And after he has this moment and after he does this, he sends her away from his room. And now she is nothing more than an object to him. Scripture tells us. Now, again, remember when David saw Bathsheba, he was up on his roof and he looks over and he sees this woman bathing and he calls up the men, his guards with him. And he says, who is that woman? And they tell him basically this, sir, that's someone's daughter. That's someone's wife. He doesn't care. All he lets lead him is his perverse crush and his lust towards her and says, this, she's beautiful. Bring her to me. We see this now playing out in his son's life. David's sin being repeated through his son, Amnon. And then the problem that now we encounter is from scripture is David gets angry and he gets upset, but he doesn't do anything to confront the situation. We see these words in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21. It says, when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. Historical references from Dead Sea Scrolls and Greek translations of 2 Samuel chapter 13 here add the phrase that David did not punish his son because he was his firstborn. And we can kind of believe that that's probably true because if you look in 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 6, you see that David had another son named Adonijah. And it tells us in 1 Kings 1 6, he didn't punish him. Because of what he did. And we're going to see that he's got another son named Absalom that does something that he does nothing to correct him either. So the story seems to line up that that's probably the case. So let's look at Absalom. Absalom is Tamar's full brother. And Absalom cannot believe what Amnon has done to his sister. And he also can't believe that David, his dad, is doing nothing to take care of the situation. So Absalom begins to plot his own solution. So what he does is he gets Amnon away from the palace. He gets him drunk. And then he has him killed. If you remember the story of David, when he calls up Bathsheba's husband, he gets him drunk and tells him to go spend the night with his wife. But her husband is too admirable of a man, even in that state says, no, there's a group of guys out there. I'm supposed to be championing a mission with, I'm not going to do that. And so David gets frustrated and sends him to the front line so that he is killed. Again, we see the sin of David being repeated in his sons and in their life. 
So Absalom gets Amnon killed and he runs in fear of what David might do to him. And he's gone for three years. David never goes after him though. Doesn't do anything until Joab, who's the leader of his army at that time, comes to David and says, let me go bring back your son Absalom. So David lets him do that. He sends him off to go bring him back. And when Absalom comes back, this is the words that Absalom hears from his dad. In 2 Samuel 14, the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king, not just the king, but his dad. Now listen, think about what's happening here. You've got a guy who no doubt has done something horrible. He's done something wrong. He acted in a situation incorrectly. A situation that his dad was being silent in and doing nothing. So because he has no wisdom, he reacts to the situation thinking he's solving it. And now he's got his dad in this situation still being silent with him. Offering no correction, no love, no instruction in any kind, any way, no healing. And he's greeted with the message, welcome home. Your dad never wants to see you. And this is the way it is for two years. And then Absalom begins to plot now what he's going to do to take the kingdom from his father. And he does it quite brilliantly. (laughs) He turns the nation against his dad. He stands out by the post at the gates waiting on people to come in. And as they're coming up, they tell, he asks them, what's your case you're bringing to the king? And they tell him what it is. Oh, that is a great case. You deserve to be heard. Heard. Where did that come from? You deserve to be heard. Heard. Use that today. I've been hanging around my kids too much. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. You deserve to be heard. But unfortunately, the king doesn't have time to hear you. Now, I I believe you've got a case. (laughs) If it was me, Absalom wins over the people. And eventually, the nation rises against David. David has to flee. But David's a mighty warrior. So he gathers his army back up and he says, and they go back in to take back over their kingdom. And we see David give this command to those in charge but all the army hears the command as well. He tells them this. He says, the king gave this command to Joab, Abishai, and Atai. For my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. In other words, there's a love still for his son that's there. He doesn't want him to be harmed. But for some reason, David doesn't know how to show that love. But he tells them, deal gently with him. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. So they go out, they're pursuing. Absalom gets into the situation where he's fleeing from some of David's men. One of the previous passages of scripture gives us a description of Absalom. He's obviously this very strong uh, guy that many think looks really good. And he's got a lot of hair. And believe it or not, the scripture tells us that they weighed his hair and it weighed five pounds. It's a lot of hair, dude. I mean, so we see this portion of scripture where he is fleeing from David's men and this five pounds of hair 
gets stuck in a tree limb and his horse goes on and Absalom's left hanging by his hair in the tree. You should read the Bible. It's fun. So Joab hears word that Absalom's hanging by his hair. Now Joab, we have also heard and seen in these scriptures that Absalom had set Joab's field on fire at some point. So Joab, probably still a little frustrated about that, probably frustrated that David is not doing anything in this situation with his sons and thinking to himself, if I don't go ahead and take care of it now, we take Absalom back to his dead. He's still not going to do anything. We're just going to be right back in this vicious circle again. So Joab thinks to himself, I'm going to go ahead and take care of it. And scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 18 that he stabs him with three different daggers in the chest and kills Absalom while he's hanging in the tree. Nobody wants to tell David. (laughs) But finally, someone has the courage to go to David and tell him, Absalom's dead. And this is where we end up in 2 Samuel 18, where we see David crying out again, overcome with emotion and crying out. Look at how many times he says this. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is the first time that I can see where David called Absalom his son. Every other time that you see David reference Absalom, he calls him the young man. The first time he does it and expresses an intimacy between him and the son he has in his life is when his son is dead. And now he's grieving. All through this account, we see a man who does not know how to relate to his sons. That or he doesn't feel like he can. The mightiest of champions, a man whose statues was built for, songs were sung about, the mightiest of kings didn't know how to be a man where he needed to be a man the most. Let's contrast that with a heavenly father. Matthew chapter three, Jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And in chapter three, verse 16, we see these words. Matthew, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. And now the Spirit of God descended like a dove and settled on him. And a voice from heaven, the heavenly Father, speaks out over his son, Jesus. And he says, this is my son, who I love. And I am well pleased in him. Three phrases that every young champion needs to hear in their life. My son, 
I love you. I am pleased with you. My daughter, I love you. I am pleased with you. There is someone in your life that needs to know their relationship with you means something and that they mean something to you. They need to know you love them. They need to know you are pleased with them. And guys, if I'm speaking to you, it's more than, it's not just being nurturing. It's being affirming. Guys, I know sometimes we struggle to tell people we love them. I know that. Pastor Brian will tell me I love you all the time. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, listen, I know, I get it. We feel like we got to be, I don't, you shouldn't, but you feel like you got to be three sheets in the wind, put your arm around somebody. I love you, man. That's, we, we should do better. We should be better. Paul told us we don't have to be that way to express our love and appreciation and respect for each other. It's more than just busting each other's chops. We should be able to tell them what somebody, because there's people in our life that need to know that relationship means something to me. You mean something to me. I love you. I'm proud of you. And again, it starts in the home. If, if you are blessed to have children, they need to hear this. They need to know this. But there's others as well. We, if you were here last week, or if you even go online and you look up statistics for absentee fathers, you'd see it. We know how there's so many that need father figures in their life. This is why the church is so important. This is why the body of Christ is so important because there's so many young champions that need men and women, but men, they need you to speak into their life. They need your voice. I'm not saying your call is to be their father. But you do have an opportunity to be a father figure or to be a spiritual father in someone's life. You know, I feel like I have a great relationship with my kids. And I know my wife feels like she has a great relationship with, my, our, with our kids. But we are not opposed and we want to have. It makes me happy when I know I've got other godly men and godly women speaking into my kids' life. And calling out what they see God is putting in them. That doesn't, I don't feel, I, I don't feel inferior to that. I don't feel bothered by that. I don't feel like... They're trying to take over my role as dad. I welcome that. Listen to these statistics. According to Pew Research, 57% of men believe in God with absolute certainty. 21% believe with fair certainty. So that means that there's about 78% of men who believe in God. Some of them may have a little bit of doubt that they battle with here and there, but 78% of men believe that there is a God. Watch these. 31% go to church once a week. 33% go once or twice a month. 46% pray daily. 16% might pray weekly. 30% read scripture. There wasn't even a once a day option. 30% read it once a week. 10% maybe once or twice a month. And then look what happens when we get into discipleship with each other. 21% participate in a group study once a week. 
8% once or twice a month. Some would say, men, where are you when it comes to church and in the body of Christ? Well, I, wanna, I do want to say this. I was pumped last week. When I saw, because I always see the numbers of how many people is here. That's not the end all story of what's happening at Bethel. But um, I, I always see the numbers of people that were here on a Sunday. Last week was our highest attended Sunday outside of Easter this year. Last week was Father's Day. If you don't understand why I'm pumped about that, I don't know of when that has ever happened. Especially out there. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, usually Mother's Day blows Father's Day out the water because people come to church for mom. People stay home for dad. Last week told a different story and that got me pumped because I thought, okay, we got some men that love God and we've got some men that want their family to love God. And we've got some men that's got relationships outside in their, in their life that they want people around them to love God too. We have got a lot of great men in this house and in this church. They do a lot of stuff. They will fix things for people. They will, they will do work behind the scenes. They will take people places. They, they will cook. I mean, we got some good cooking men in this house. Y'all might not know. We got some guys. I've eaten their food. I mean, they, we've, got, we've got men in this house that serve as ushers. We've got men in this house that serve as greeters. We've got men in this house doing prayer warriors, doing all kinds of things. And listen, it is phenomenal what you do. I'm not building you up to knock you down. Believe me. All right. I do want to share one other number, though. Again, this is not a number I'm sharing as condemnation. I want to share it, maybe take it as a challenge. We got men doing amazing things. When it comes to our children's and youth ministry environments, outside of the pastoral staff, there are four men in this body who work in those environments to pour into young people. Now, not condemnation, believe me, a challenge. Because you are doing so much, guys. So much. And we appreciate everything you do. But I know there's young men and young women, predominantly young men, need to hear your voice in their life. They need to see what God is doing in you. They need to see what God is doing through you. And you can make a difference in their life. See, sometimes our greatest struggle and our biggest weakness is knowing what we should do, but just not doing it. Because either we, we feel like we can't, what we feel like what we talked about last week. Look again at David. David had committed a lot of sins in his life by his actions. But his greatest sin right now in this moment is the fact that he wasn't doing anything. Look at what James, the brother Jesus, told us in James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then don't do it. See, maybe the reason David never had the courage to confront his own sons and their sin is because he felt like he had lost his moral authority. He knew the sin that he had committed and he thought to himself, how can I have a conversation with them about what I see happening in their life when I know what I've done in my life? But here's the thing. 
God has spoken forgiveness and healing in David. God loved David enough to send Nathan, his spiritual father, to him to call out what was happening in David's life. David wasn't perfect. He was a sinner, but he had been forgiven by God and he had been accepted God's goodness and God's grace. Should that have not been enough to give David an even greater opportunity to speak into his son's life? And some of us, we feel like this as well because we know we've sinned. Our kids know we've sinned. How can I speak into my kids when they know what I've done? But God's grace, listen to me. God's grace gives you a greater authority in your kid's life than your perfection does. And the reason is because you're able to say to them, just like you, I made mistakes, but I don't want the pain of my mistakes to be the, to become the pain in your life. God's grace can work and God's grace can move. But listen, it's important. They need to know that you're not just continually going back, that you're letting God create you into a new person. Embracing what God has done for you and the new person that he's created you to be will help break the cycle of sin being passed down in your life to your children or those who look up to you. David wanted to die in Absalom's place, but he couldn't. We saw it in his verse, if only I had died instead of you. He wanted to die in his place. But even if Absalom would have, even if David would have died in Absalom's place, it would have done no difference for the kingdom. Jesus could die in our place. And he did. And it made all the difference in the world. Absalom was hanging on a tree and was stabbed in his chest because of his rebellion. Jesus died on a tree and was stabbed in his side with a spear for our rebellion. And what's remarkable is that knowing that, believing that, following Christ because of that can help us have hope in the painful consequences that sin wants to bring in our life. And it can help Break the cycle of that sin continuing on from us. God believed in you enough to send Jesus to die for you. Jesus believed in you enough to give his life for you. They believed in us enough that the Holy Spirit was sent to impart, be imparted in us and empower us for his life. And the same way the Spirit descended upon Jesus and God looked at his son and said, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. That Spirit descends and imparts in us in our life. And God looks at us and says, you are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. You might have a past but I forgive it. We're creating you a new person and I love you. I'm pleased with you. Now let's go champion those I've called you to champion and the mission I've given you to champion in this life. Listen, you're not perfect, but you're also not worthless. Your voice matters. There's someone in this life that needs to hear from you how important the relationship they have with you is. 
they need to hear from you that the relationship they have means something, that you love them and that you're proud of them. Don't neglect the opportunity you have to champion someone that God has given you in this life to champion. Don't miss that opportunity God's given you. He's called you to be that in their life. Stand with me this morning. Now I want to end this series and I want to end this message today. And I'm going to ask guys, men in this house, if you would oblige me, there's no trick. I just want to ask you if you would come forward today around this altar and let me, let's pray today. So let's pray together over who God is calling you out to be. So men, if you would join me up front. see when men come up like this is mighty champions of God who have an ability to influence the world around them for the kingdom of God. And I just want to encourage you in every opportunity that God gives you to take advantage of that. Maybe it's, it might be right here at the church, but maybe God's given you an opportunity to coach young men. Maybe God's given you an opportunity to mentor young men in a skill or a craft that you have, whatever that case may be, don't miss the opportunity to champion those men for God's glory. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every man that is represented in this room today and up front around this altar. I thank you for every man that may be watching online today. For every man that can't be here this morning because maybe they're on vacation they had another responsibility today. They couldn't make it. God, I lift up these men to you today. And I ask that you would strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that you would allow them to see every opportunity they have to be the godly man that you have called them to be. Let us not be like David where we feel like we can't speak into our kids' lives, where we can't, we feel like we can't speak into a young person's life, that you have given us the opportunity to influence. God, help us to see today that your grace, that your mercy is far greater than the sin that we've committed in our life. Our imperfection, God, was not our downfall. Your forgiveness and your grace has now set us up to an even greater story in our life. So help us to guide those you have given us an opportunity to guide. And be with these men, God, and strengthen them, empower them by your Holy Spirit. And help them be led by you to champion every person you have given them to champion. And to champion the mission that you have given them to champion in this life. And Father, I pray for every woman that stands behind them today. 
Maybe they have a direct connection with a man in this room. And I pray today that they would call out every day the champion that that these men are. That they would encourage it. That they would pray over. That they would pray over the man that you have given them. Or the relationship that they may have. Whether it be by friendship, by spouse, by parenthood. Whatever it may be. Help them, God, to pray that out and to call it out in them today. God, make us men who are mighty warriors of God, who are not afraid to pray daily, who are not afraid to read your word daily, who are not afraid to get with other men and dive into your word together as much as we can to disciple one another. And we thank you for it, God. We love you and we give you praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.